Hey, this is the one-man goldmine, the one-man enterprise of professional wrestling and all entertainment, Flynn Hendricks. And you better believe when I'm looking for a good podcast to listen to, I go to my own. I go to the I Know You Hear Me podcast hosted by me, Flynn Hendricks. That is such a fresh perspective for how you should look at life, too. Like, I just, I love that. And then when I'm feeling spooky, I go to my other podcast, Tales from the Haunt, where myself, yeah. I want my head shoved inside a 15-pound silicone mask more. You know, <laughs> I want to have a bucket of sweat coming off me at the end of the night. And just Jeff. Dogs don't like eggs, <laughs> I hate you so much. Talk to other scare actors about what it takes to get into the world of scare acting. So if you're curious about how people became professional wrestlers, actors, prioritized their mental health, became entrepreneurs, avoided burnout, or got into scare acting, you need to go check out I Know You Hear Me and Tales from the Haunt, available on all podcasting platforms. And I know you hear me. I've got Sunny Blaze with me here today. I'm very excited to be talking to you. And how's it going? Very well. Don't forget Broadway, Sunny Blaze. Broadway, Sunny Blaze. That's <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> Why don't we talk about your beginnings? Um, I'm always interested in how people discovered professional wrestling because everybody's story is very unique as how they discovered as a kid, maybe. Uh, you know, I just walked into a room in 1984. And my cousin was watching. Roddy Piper was on TV. From then on in, I was or obsessed with professional wrestling, and it's 40 years later. So, you know, how did you uh, get interested in that? Well, th this starts uh, quite a bit earlier than that. Uh, Mr. Morales was champion of the WWF back then. And it, wrestling was, uh, crazy as it sounds, was on uh, Channel 6, no, 47, 47, uh, the Spanish channel. Okay. And it came on right after Noticias Internacionales, which I guess means international news. <laughs> but it was in English. <laughs> and uh, I remember there was Killer Kowalski was wearing a mask back then with a lightning bolt on the side. And I don't know, some just captured me, you know, um, seeing these monster guys just beating each other up. You know, I was a boxing yeah. fan already. And this just grabbed my imagination. And then I started watching at midnight on WOR Channel 9 after the races from Aqueduct. Yeah. And that's it. That's, yeah, it's always unique. And I, uh, especially, I wish I, I wish I started to watch back then a little bit younger. But, uh, you know, <laughs> but 1980s was like the boom. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a certain boom in professional wrestling, especially 1984 into 1985 was when it really exploded. Um, I want to find out how you got interested in that. That's what you wanted to do with yourself. Well, that was kind of an accident. Um, crazy as it sounds. It's one of those things you always kick around in your head as a fan. Mm -hmm. And actually, I wanted to become an attorney. I went to St. John's University. And I aspired to become an attorney. But uh, I stopped that when I met a man named Mark Tendler. Um, he's not a household name, but he was uh, a wrestler um, back in the day. Yeah, he's uh, somewhat well known in the Northeast scene. Uh, somewhat, yeah. you know. I don't, I don't know a whole lot about him. I mean, 
I do know some about him. You know, I know that there is some connections between uh, a couple of my friends and him as well. And some of the more famous guys as well, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was well-respected, well-liked. Um, so while I was, we trained in his garage on a wrestling mat. The ropes were made from garage door springs with tape on them. <laughs> and there wasn't a lot to be learned, except for I was very, very fortunate that a guy who used to live on Long Island and would stop by to train to work out. Uh, everybody knows his name, Mick Foley. And, oh yeah and well cactus started training me and it was um you know here he was back then he was six foot four 240 pounds he's a um he's actually a couple years younger than i am right. but he's already wrestling on the independence and doing it, like he was so careful he, he would measure everything how did what he wanted to do you know and he already had uh, magazine articles back when he was using the Cactus Jack Manson. And it was just, uh, it was great that he was there. That's a guy I actually followed for many, many years before he hit superstardom. Uh, I remember him wrestling in World Class and uh, Abrams UWF, which we're going to get into here uh, oh. briefly. Um, I think he made some, did he make it? He made a couple of Savoldi appearances, I believe. And, uh, Obviously, NWA, WCW, and, and all over the place, really. That guy was literally worked everywhere before Tommy he made D? it big. Yes, Tommy D? Yes. Yep. Yeah. He and I worked yeah. many shows on. I, real quick about Cactus. Um, Com Squad School, uh, high school is where he went. And uh, he's he arranged a show that Mark Tendler was the promoter for. Okay. And he's in the main event. He's uh, wrestling uh, Chris Adams. You remember Gentleman Chris Adams? Gentleman Chris Adams. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And he already had a reputation for taking, like, tremendous risk. He took a suplex and a body slam on tables. Now, this is back when people weren't doing this. And yep. it, it was, it, you know, and every all the veterans were saying, man, you keep taking bumps like that, you're not going to have a very long career. Well, he proved them wrong. Um, he just, I think he's insane, but <laughs> you know, how, how do you do what he does? But, um, he's, he wanted uh, to outdo himself. Give, yes. Yeah. And he always wanted yeah. to give the fans his super fly snooker moment. Right. Remember up yeah. on the cage. Yep. So he yeah. always wanted to give you that moment and hopefully somewhere in his career, somebody saw that moment. Right. Yeah. Um, and he did them many, many times to, out, like I said, outdo himself uh, each time. Obviously, he's, he's had some lots of issues since then with his hips and, and, and walking. Um, but he wasn't the character you saw on TV. He was the nicest human being you'd ever meet, probably. He's the most purely decent person I've ever known. Um, yeah. I was there when he met Colette, his wife. Mm -hmm. um, they're still married. I was there when Dewey was born, their first son. Oh, wow. Um, Cactus was at my house. We were watching a pay-per-view, and that's I met Mark Calloway, The Undertaker, yep. over the telephone at my house. So I had already had it like an introduction to him before I ever worked with him. Um, but just a, he, I did a fundraiser here in Newport Ritchie, Florida, and Cactus came in and did the show for free for me. 
Uh, wow. All he did was ask me to make a donation to a charity called Rain that he's so passionate about. And of course I did, but he didn't even put a number on it. He just asked me to do it. Just, uh, I can't speak highly enough. And I'm going to share a secret with you. Sure. You know, do you know where he got his bang bang from? I do not. Okay. One of his very first TV matches was with Steve Williams in WCW. Dr. And, Death. Oh, yeah. God rest his yep. soul. Really yep. nice man. Yep. Well, at the end of it, Jack's on the floor. And the TV camera was right in his face, so he didn't know what to do. So he just went bang, bang, bang on the door, baby, <laughs> like the B-52 song. Right. And the bang, bang just became a thing. So a lot of stuff evolves from just on the moment, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So bang, bang became his thing. That's incredible. That's, <laughs> it's, it's so random how stuff like that could just stick, you know yeah. what I mean? Just like that, and it becomes your thing. What's your earliest... When in, in your earliest match that you can remember, what was your first match? And what who was that against? And what was it like for you? Were you nervous getting in the ring? Oh God, yeah. Um I never got over that, by the way. I always had butterflies when it came to the fan because the performance part of it was what I felt uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. Um but my very first match we was in a bar, a country and western bar called uh, Sundance in uh Bayshore, New York. Okay. And I wrestled a former light heavyweight boxer named Eves Baldur. He was from Haiti. So neither one of us knew what we were doing. And we had never actually been in a ring. We had been in a garage on the floor. Okay. And it's funny hitting the ropes and, you know, you've never done that before. So it was a terrible match. Um, but it was my first match and I was very happy about it. I was happy to get it out of the way, kind of. Right. Right. You know? You mind if I ask you about working for the Savoldis? Uh, I know you worked a little bit there. I could not find any footage from that era, though, uh, trying to research the uh, working for ICW. But uh, can you tell me about working for them? Mario's, uh, I've been working on getting Mario as a guest on this show, so it looks like it might happen next week. Mario Savoldi? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So God, I wish him well. Tell him I said hi. Absolutely. He, I, I'm not, I don't believe he'll remember me because there were only like 700 of us. <laughs> But my very first match, uh, my very first day there is this. You remember Phil Apollo? Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Okay. So I, I walk, I'm in the locker room, and Phil Apollo thought that I was uh, Rick Martell. Rick, Rick Martell and I had a similar look. Okay. And back then I wore glasses. Since then I've had retinal surgery and all kinds of things to correct my vision. But, uh, he actually, for a few minutes, thought he was talking to Rick Martell. So Blackjack Mulligan was at the monitor. He's booking. And it was a TV taping. So it's there's not going to be any art involved in this. This is just for their TV. Right. And my very first match for them was with Tony Atlas. And uh, you want to talk about the butterflies again. There they are. This, it, I'm yeah. in there with a giant. And, but, again, everything was just perfect. Yeah. I've been, I've just been fortunate. I enjoyed my, my matches in ICW. Um, I really, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was low budget TV yeah. compared to, of course, the WWF, but it was. Oh fun. yeah. WWF was a huge production and it's today's, uh, it's even, even bigger production, you know, like the, uh, everything that they put into it. Um, 
I remember when I first discovered ICW, like, uh, and I've told this story here on this podcast many times that I was, uh, was at my grandmother's house on a Sunday morning and it was on. And I was like, at that time I had really only known WWF and the NWA. And I just became, I was like, well, what the hell is this? And literally, literally when I got to my house, we had a different cable system. We did not get ICW on our cable. So I had to make sure I was at my grandmother's house and, uh, called towns over to to go watch it on sunday mornings but i i literally uh i guess you could say fell in love with uh icw and later iwccw and that's easy to do because look at yeah. all of the talent they had but young talent yeah first you had uh uh king kalua tom i just Brandy. had i just had uh king kalua on it about a month ago you know it was a great great guy man yeah, fantastic guy um yeah you have Tom Brandy. Jeez, uh, I'm trying to remember some of the names. Of course, Tony Atlas was their champion. Yep. You had jo Jumpin' Joseph Oldy. Um, again, Phil Apollo. You oh, there was Tommy Dreamer before he became like a star. I don't know if he was there when you that, were there. but That was actually after. Oddly enough, um, the very first person Tommy ever put over was me. Really? It was on a show. Um, Jules Strongbow was the booker. This was for Rob Russin with the okay. IWA. Okay. Yep. And Tommy was just there, you know, and he, you know, he brought his gear, and it was the very first time he put somebody over. So, and Tommy's a terrific guy. If anybody has, I mean, some all of the guys have earned everything they got. Yeah. Tommy Dreamer really worked to get everything he's got all the recognition everything he deserves it all this terrific young guy terrific guy yeah and he's still around today i yeah, mean he he's uh he's even now obviously i don't know if you listen to busted open radio he's on there uh what once or twice a week now as uh you know it's the wrestling show on serious serious xm he's a uh, one of the co-hosts on there so he has a lot of passion about the sport of professional wrestling yeah he it's amazing did. yeah yeah it's no, amazing fantastic guy yeah yeah um so let's see do you mind me asking you uh how you hooked up with a resi and his radio program okay this goes back to mark tendler um yep john Arezzi went to mark's house to promote the school mm -hmm. and he and i got to talking and by the way john again i, I can't it's going to be hard for me to find somebody i say is not a nice person in pro wrestling <laughs> But John Arezzi, he and I started talking, and he invited me to come to the radio station. They were doing, uh, I, honestly, I forget, but there were children there, and it was some sort of like um, a meet and greet type of thing. And uh, right. myself, Chris Michaels, the Power Twins, we just were there. And then slowly I started talking to John, and I became kind of co-host and co-owner of the show. Okay. Um, but John had an extensive background in radio uh, wrestling. He had been doing photography. An interesting thing, he's the only one with a picture of Gorilla Monsoon airplane spinning Muhammad Ali. He was wow. the only photographer in the arena that night. Wow. So that's a pretty decent negative to have. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably, <laughs> worth, probably worth a little something now. I mean, it's two legends. Um you ended up leaving the show after a while. Was there any particular reason you left, or was it just your wrestling schedule was just getting busier? No, just timed out. 
Um, yeah. I gave myself till 30. Okay. I, I used to call it Randy Savage money. That crazy is this. Okay. I used to tell my wife, if I don't make Randy Savage money by the time I'm 30, mm-hmm. then I have to stop and start doing something else. Okay. Because otherwise, you can continue doing this till you're 40, but now at 40, you're starting something, and it's much harder. Yes. So it just happened where 30 turned, came around, and it was the end. Really, we just started doing th- things over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It was fun, but I wasn't getting any better with interviews. Um, and I turned 30, and that's pretty much that's it. it. You yeah. left at 30. Yeah, but I mean, you did make it to the WWF, and you were probably on television every week, <laughs> so to say. Yes. You know, I remember you quite well uh, from being on television every week. And like I said, you were one of the guys I always thought was like, you know, this guy needs a shot at least, you know, to get up there a little bit. You know, there's always those guys like those babyface guys that were kind of the sub mid card type thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Are you talking added about ex- Jimmy Powers or uh, maybe a little bit higher than that? Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, I love Jimmy. Don't get me wrong. I love Jimmy and, and Roma and stuff. But around that level, maybe a little bit higher. The guys that I always thought were really, really good, but they weren't getting the shot that they deserved as far as that goes. I know there was a little politics involved uh, as well back then and some fishy stuff here and there. But I don't want to say anything bad here on the radio program. So, yeah, that that's what I always thought. That's high praise to say higher than Paul or Jimmy B, but that really is high praise. So you would be talking about like an SD? Maybe, maybe, yeah. I thought that Roma was uh, probably, in my eyes, probably the most underrated wrestler at that, as as far as that whole group goes, because he had a great body, great look, and he should have gone really far, I think. You know what I mean? And eventually, he got somewhere, but then it kind of fizzled out. A couple of years later, he was out of the business, you know, altogether. Well, but uh, I'm going to tell you, I'm one of those guys, and, and then there were, I had so many opportunities, even besides the WWF. Right. But I had the best in the world trying to help me. Mr. Mm-hmm. Pipe, uh, Governor Ventura, um, Paul Dangerously. He and I were actually friends. Well, mm-hmm. stronger than acquaintances, but not quite hangout buddies, you know, that type of thing. Well, he was a, new, a Northeast, like, uh, indie guy, kind of, in a way, mm-hmm. in the beginning. And he was all over the place, but just so happened to get a shot and then ended up, you know, he was in the NWF, which was uh, Northeast. And, he, uh, you know, I think he ended up in the ICW doing uh, booking for a while as well. He did. And, uh, he did yeah. extremely well. Yeah. If they had Vince McMahon's budget. He would have taken them way. Oh, God, he would have taken them to the moon. Absolutely. But, but when you have the best sitting down and giving you advice, Mr. Uh, Ted DiBiase, you know, and all these guys are trying to help me. And little by little by little, I'm gleaning this and that. But I never got over. Once I got to the ring, I didn't want to perform. You know, we had okay. makeshift uh, tag teams that Mr. McMahon tried me in. And uh, he... I mean, he talked to me a few times about, and I, what I should have told him was what my apprehension was, but I was afraid to mention that because he probably, I would bet he had a way of getting over it. Mm-hmm. And even Mario Mancini once told me, he said, Sonny, remember these people are, they paid to come and see you, but I never believed that. And 
So I'd go in the ring and I just want to do my thing. Um, and it was on a, a show in Lowell, Massachusetts. Do you remember Chris Duffy? Yeah, gorgeous Chris Duffy. Yes. Yeah. First of all, another terrific guy, student of yeah. uh, Killer Kowalski's. Yep. So we're on that show, and it's a house show. Whenever I was on a house show, it's opening match. I'm the baby face, so I'm going to be going over. What I didn't understand was, um, you know, doing the favor versus going over. Right. So here, I'm in Lowell, Massachusetts. This is Chris's hometown, pretty much. You know, it's his neck of the woods. And the chief asked, would you mind, you know, putting Sonny over? He goes, no, not at all. So we're working. Actually, it started. It was Tony Gurria asked that. So Chris goes, listen, Sonny, after everything's done, I'm going to kick out right after three. Um, Would you mind letting me have the ring after the match is over? I didn't really know what he meant. So I was like, sure. So boom, boom, boom. He throws me out. But he stayed in the ring and he's up on the corners and he's getting all everybody's jeering him and he's getting all the heat. I guarantee more people remembered Chris Duffy than remembered me that evening. And that's when it dawned on me. That's what going over means. Right. You know, he actually went over. I just got my hand raised. I and, remember him. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, but no. That he knew that, you know, and that yeah. was something that it took me so many more years to learn. I remember him, Chris Duffy, working uh, like the Fear Circuit for, you know, remember Tommy Jeanette's uh, Northeast Championship Wrestling? Yeah. Do you remember? He would work the Fear Circuit for him, and he would come in, and his whole gimmick was he'd come in working heel, and he would sing like a Barry Manilow song to annoy the crowd kind of a thing, and that's the way that he got the crowd to go after him, basically. Mm-hmm. It was always very funny because I'd see him on WWF TV, and he was just that guy. He barely got an introduction and got – He was done in two minutes, and then, you know, to actually see him do something here was just, it was kind of fun to watch, you know? Yeah, but he knew he knew what it meant to get over versus getting your hand raised. Yep. You know, and it took me, it took me a lot of years after I was out of wrestling to understand the difference. Mm -hmm. So, but, uh, but that was, I'll never forget that night because it goes through my mind often the difference between getting your hand raised and getting over. So Chris taught me that. And I'm sorry, we were going somewhere and I went off on my Chris tangent. And that happens on this show all the time. So you're more than welcome to just go off and talk about anything. So literally, we're here to talk about your wrestling career. So we can talk about anything. Um, let's talk oh, about how you got. Go ahead. Sorry. So we were talking about opportunities. Yes, yes. And and I had so many of them. Um, it's just I was unable to take advantage of them for myself. Mm-hmm. A big opportunity for me was from Paul Dangerously, Paul Heyman in ECW. He gave me a shot at doing like a mobster manager gimmick. Okay. And all of a sudden it came time. I had on the, the look, you know, I, I had the New York accent going, the whole thing. They even had a folded up contract. This was for a thing called Halloween Hell. Mm-hmm. This I don't remember the year exactly. It's probably and, early uh, on because I think he came in there about ninety, either ninety three or ninety four is when he came in because he wasn't owner at the time. He came when he came in initially. No, Todd Gordon was still the owner. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but anyway. So there I am, and it's my turn to do a little spot, you know, for TV, and. 
I look over right out of the corner of my eye. I see Terry Funk, you know, so I'm seeing Terry Funk and then I'm seeing Taz and I'm seeing all these guys. And all of a sudden I'm just a blathering idiot. It went from Paul coaching me to, uh, I, blah, 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 blah. yeah. And you know, I, it was awful. <laughs> it was nerves. I'm guessing, right? You got nervous. But, but I never got over that. And if right. Paul Heyman can't help you get over it, oh, my goodness. I mean, I'm being coached by Paul Heyman to do a simple promo, and I can't cut it. Yeah. And uh, But I appreciate that opportunity. I'm just sorry I couldn't deliver for him. Uh, tell me about the, the working with the Power Twins, because these guys always seem to uh, be in character, especially on uh, – on a resi's program and they're constantly in character um these two guys listening to the program i've listened to it back because they made it into a podcast like uh three years ago where him and the other guy would go over and review it and what was going on so um so you're in there as well still the playing clips and stuff like that so those guys just always seem to be on never off yeah. whatsoever i don't think it was a gimmick <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, first of all, they were, you know, they were trained by David Schultz, right? Yes. I've actually, uh, recently spoke about David cause I just interviewed Mike Sundance. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him at all. And yes, I wrestled Mike Sundance. Did you really? Yeah. Yes. In Amityville, New York. And yeah. what a nightmare I made of that match. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> well, well, David Schultz is school was in uh i guess new haven connecticut uh what i or from the research i had and i remember i used to as a kid i used to drive by it all the time with my my uncle or my father because my father owned a television shop which was like right on the corner like a tv repair shop back in the day so i always heard that's david schultz school and i'm like i was always scared to go check it out and you know and then i heard mario was in there you know the, i'm a big i was a big fan of, as a kid you know always like looking in the window, seeing if anybody's in there, you know, that kind of a thing. So I, it was I fun. I never knew if Larry or David seriously would just decide to start jacking me up. I had no idea they were that kind. <laughs> right. But I love, like, I was, I think the movie is Ocean's Eleven. Yep. And they uh, play yeah, the body. They're in there as the bodyguards. Really? Yeah. Remember when they have George Clooney locked in the room? I think so, yeah. yeah. And George Clooney is pretending to get beat up by some biker. And that's them? They're standing outside the door. Okay. okay. That's like a rewatching that. So I'm and they've been in many, many movies. I'll see them, and I'm like, they're, they're just extremely imposing. And like you said, they kind of live their character Yeah. a, a little bit. But uh, but no, they were always good guys. you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell me about getting uh, into the WWF. I understand that uh, Mr. Mancini had something to do with that. Mr. Mancini brought me to TV because um, I'd wrestled him on an ICW show. Mm -hmm. And he did not like it at all. He didn't, um, he didn't like, um, I don't know. He just didn't like that. I'm going to say the, the locker room wasn't what he was accustomed to as far as professionalism. You know, mm -hmm. th that's the best way I can put it. Right. And he's like, it pretty much not on, not daring me, but he said, I want to show you what a professional organization looks like. You know, that's all. Yep. You know, he wanted me to see the uber professional uh, group. 
and he took him oh my gosh what a difference i mean everything is perfect you know they have a buffet they got it but you're sitting there and all of a sudden hulk hogan walks by and governor ventura walks by and oh uh, there's jake the snake roberts uh, andre the giant is sitting down playing cards for god's sakes and you're in this locker room and you're like i don't belong here uh, <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of television guys you're television yeah. stars to you know to a lot of people yeah oh i grew up with andre you know uh, yeah. hulk hogan was at this was during the zeus uh when he was uh no holds barred and all that yep oh and there's zeus you know um you know, you're just looking at all these people, Million Dollar Man, and it's like uh, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard were there, and you're like, Terry Taylor. God, it could go on and on, I guess. But uh, it, it was just so, it was almost surreal. I felt mm-hmm. like I was, I, I felt like somehow I'd walked into the television set. Right. And there's Mario, just one of the guys, you know, hey, how you doing, Hulk? Hey, you know, it was like I said, it was surreal. But uh, where, was, where was that when you when you came in there? I really can't remember anymore. Can't remember. Yeah. No. Close to 30 years ago. So, I mean, yeah. So, oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, I would say um, maybe the Onondaga War Memorial or I know it was upstate New York. Okay. Um you know, a TV taping up there. So I, Rochester, I just don't remember. I apologize. All right. No, you're good. You're good. I'm, I'm so, getting old, man. No, <laughs> my memory is not. Too, my memory is not too great either. Um, let's see. You've wrestled a lot of great. Now I'm going through a list here. I have a list of, literally. Well, I don't know about every match, but a lot of matches. There was one time you teamed up with Shane Douglas to go against the Orient Express. Do you remember this at all? Yeah, I do. Yeah. What did you think of those three guys? I think some, uh, that's another thing. Like Shane Douglas had come in for a brief time and just kind of fizzled out. You know what I mean? He was there probably a couple months and then disappeared. Well, that was one of those makeshift tag teams where I was getting an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and now, obviously, Shane was getting the bigger opportunity, but right. that was an opportunity for me. Uh, I liked them all. I, by the way, I like all the incarnations of the uh, Orient Express. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Diamond was great. Uh, Mr. Sa- Saito? Sato? Uh, it was uh, Akio Sato was the 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 other guy. So um, the first he, was, he worked. Yeah, the first guy. He worked in like the AWA and Central States and and stuff like that. So, but he was yeah. tremendous. Um, yeah, he was great. Uh, I and but the Pat Tanaka, they were all gentlemen. They were great guys. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not hard to be on point when you're in there with that group of professionals. Right. You know, so, but I enjoyed that. And then again, I, I worked with the Orient Express another time in Canada, I think a total of three times. Um, and up in Canada, it was actually uh, Brooklyn Brawler was my tag team. Okay. Was my partner. And that was, okay, let's see if we can get a New York connection going. And again, you know, I blew a spot. I just, I, I got all nervous. And that I remember that was in Cornwall because the, the arena was so ice cold, I didn't want to take off my jacket. I'm dead serious. Really? Yeah. I mean, Canada, so, you know, and, and you it's can cold all the time. <laughs> through your boots, you know. Oh, my God, yeah. But, uh, you know, so there was a, another a try at something and just nothing. I, I, 
I couldn't deliver. By the way, I love that title belt over your right shoulder. It's my NWA replica that I that I have. Somebody gifted that to me, and right above it is my autographed art print of Harley Race. So that was also uh, gifted to me by a friend. So, <laughs> Mr. Race is a legend. God rest. Yes. You know. And my yes. favorite belt, by the way, is remember the old um, Superstar Graham belt. That yeah. was my favorite of all the title belts. Well, do you remember the angle that they did on um, television when, when Backlund had the belt and Graham was challenging for it and then he ripped it apart? Right. Do you ever know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess that was the anniversary not so long ago. So they were uh, sharing clips all over the place and uh, and they were, I guess people were online making fun of Backlund's reaction to to. <laughs> so. Well, Mr. Backlund, and by the way, that's another thing pro wrestling yeah. game, the opportunity to meet Mr. Backlund, talk with him, and the, tremendous. But um, that was back when Superstar Graham was doing the Kung Fu gimmick, right? Uh, that might have been, that's a good question. That might have been right before. because I of the belt. Yeah, because I think the Kung Fu gimmick was when he returned in the early 80s. So maybe, oh, that was the early 80s. So I'm trying to I'm trying to put it together here. I think he was. That might, that's a good question, actually. I think he still had like the tie dye gimmick and, and and stuff like that. And then he left, and then he came back as the uh, as the uh, the kung fu gimmick. But they replaced that belt with that big green round belt. Yeah, that that belt was that not was a good looking. Yeah, it was not 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 a charming belt at all. So, no. but one of the worst I ever saw was when uh, George Steele tore up Mr. Backlund's suit. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Backlund was during the interview uh, afterwards was my wife made me that suit before we had any money. And that's why that suit meant so much to me. That was kind of a little bit hard, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. but I love Mr. Backlund and nobody other than Mr. San Martino got a bigger pop at Madison Square Garden. I've had the opportunity to meet uh, 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 Bob on numerous occasions. The first was when I was in high school, probably. 1990-91. Now, he lived in Connecticut for a number of years, for many, many years, and I wrestled in high school. He was coaching. He lived in Rocky Hill, uh, Rocky Hill, rather, is the name of the town, and he coached the Rocky Hill high school team. So basically, we were in a tournament, and I'm standing there, and Bob Backlund's literally across the room, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Bob Backlund. So he had not been in the business for a number of years, but I went up to him and in- introduced myself, and he was as nice as can be. And oh, you know, I've met him uh, four or five times since then, and at uh, various places. You know, great guy, great guy. Well, are you familiar with um, the locker room at Madison Square Garden? Mm, no. Okay. Well, outside no. the locker room, there's this ramp that you can drive down. It's like a spiral. Oh. That's how they get the ring up and all that. Right. But there's stairs. So I see Mr. Backlund doing, going up and down like three or four stairs at a time. Did that forever. I mean, never, mm-hmm. and then he was doing the Hindu squats. Yeah. He, he can do, you'll get sick of watching him before he gets sick of doing them. Oh my gosh, he's in such good shape. <laughs> Even at this age, he was able to do headstands at this age that he is now. So it's it's incredible. Yeah, terrific athlete. And by the way, I thought he was a great champion. I, I thought so. Him as champ. Yeah, me too. I thought it was a very uh, special 
time period. Some people don't necessarily think so when they go back and look at the history of the WWF championship. Uh, I enjoyed Bob because when it comes to professional wrestling, I like the actual wrestling aspect of it. And I thought that he was a tremendous professional wrestler. Well, do you remember when he lifted Ivan Koloff up without a boost, with that one yes. arm, and just lift him up and put him on a turnbuckle? Yeah, he had an incredible strength. Yes. Oh God! But um, and uh, speaking of Ivan Koloff, since I threw that, we we mentioned uh, Tommy D. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of uh, shows for him in New York, Brooklyn area. One night I got to wrestle Ivan Koloff. Now I didn't know I was wrestling Ivan Koloff. I was scheduled to wrestle John Studd. Okay. And all of a sudden, Ivan Koloff is coming to the ring. And I looked at the ref and I said, am I here for the wrong match? He goes, no, there's been a change. So all I know is I'm safe so long as I listen to Mr. Koloff, you know. <laughs> so he's coming in with that chain. I jump out of the ring and I know, don't move. Don't just stand right here. He misses me by, you know, a few inches. But anyway, that night, and this came from the Power Twins, the power to Larry and David said, Ivan Koloff just made you look like a world champion. And when I watched the match, I was like, he really did. He gave me a, a lot of it, uh, sold really well. Call, and he made me look like I was his level. Um, I worked with Bam Bam Bigelow. He did the same thing. These, I, I had the great opportunity, Rick, and I mean this, the great opportunity to wrestle some of the, the greatest ever. Uh, man, I had dinner with Bruno San Martino. That's my idol, by the way. Um, I'm a very huge fan, very, very huge fan of Bruno's. Obviously, I was not when I saw him. Uh, it was at the tail end of his career in the 1980s. You know what I mean? Kind of, he was just kind of lingering because Vince wanted him to stick around. So, um, I didn't get to see him in his prime until many years later when I was able to go back and, you know, watch videos and stuff like that. Go watch the old MSG network stuff. And I became a huge fan, literally. And he's become like the top of my list. That guy sold out Madison Square Garden more times than anybody in the history of professional wrestling. Well, going back to John Arezzi. um, So we're the San Gennaro feast in Sunnyside, uh, Queens. Mm -hmm. So I go with John because Mr. San Martino is making an appearance. Tony Atlas is doing a little demonstration. So I'm I'm standing right next to Bruno San Martino. I can't believe this. So we're walking back to where the Sunnyside Garden used to be, which is now a Wendy's. That's where Mr. San Martino's car was. So he had a lot of Italian guys. The, the neighborhood obviously loves Mr. San Martino. Right. But all these Italian guys, they're they're standing around making sure nobody bothers him. John Arezzi's there, I'm there. Well, these two little Italian ladies, you know, the ones who are always dressed in black with the white hair, they're like, you know, yeah. 206 years old. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of them said, oh, that's that wrestling fella. So he stops and starts talking to them in Italian. And everyone keeps walking. So here I am all by myself with Bruno Sammartino. So I got to walk with him all the way to his car. And, it, you know, he just gave me, it, it, this sounds nutty, but it, it it means a lot. You know, he was like, hey, Sonny, you know, just stay away from the drugs. You know, live a clean life. Be careful. Remember that, uh, you you know, there's a kid out there who's going to see you. Make sure you don't have alcohol in your hand. And that was amazing to me, you know. 
he uh, was a class act, you know. Yeah, what I mean? he was. If anybody was a good spokesperson for, you know, anti-drugs or, or good living, clean living, it was Bruno San Martino. And he cared about how he was presented as a world champion. So, you know, he was not doing that stuff at all or in front of people and at all. He always wanted to influence children. And, you know, there's a really great documentary on the Peacock, the WWE section of Peacock about him. And it just, it goes so deep into that. And it's just so, uh, it's just cool that back then, you know, especially, uh, you know, when that stuff was at a height, I guess you can say that he was so anti that all that bad stuff. Oh, yeah. He, he was passionately anti like steroids and yes. but not just steroids, any drugs, you know. Yes. Um, you know, he enjoyed a little bit of wine, I believe. Uh, is Italian. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. you know, I mean, I'm we have wine the, at, yeah, we yeah, have I'm it every night at dinner here. So, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but you know, I owe that to John and Rezzi too, that I got yeah. to meet Bruno San Martino. Um, yeah. Just that's John and Rezzi. By the way, John and Rezzi also managed a country music star. Um, I'm going to try to remember her name. Oh, I, get it right. I know. Patty Lovelace. Yes. And um, I I just always, I don't know what happened. I believe she became too big for what he could do. Mm-hmm. But so he's got talents way outside of pro wrestling as well. Um, right. As far as managerial, promotional. Um, and again, one of the most genuinely good guys you'll ever meet. It, you know, do you personally know John? I don't personally know John. You know, I've um, I listened to his radio program. I am a fan of his. I listened to his podcast. Um, you know, I, I we've gone back and forth on like social media sometimes. He's got uh, his history and his knowledge, his program, and what he's done in the world of professional wrestling to me uh, is just amazing. You know, and uh, I think that, like I said, he did so much, especially like in that time period, just, you know, he used to do the bus trips to wrestling shows and stuff like that. And yes, and all sorts of really cool stuff to try to get, Hey, this is a show here. And the people that he would have on his programs was amazing back in the day. By the way, I'm the one who, um, when Ric Flair, or not Ric Flair, beg your pardon, Mr. Flair didn't do it. Um, it was, uh, Rick Root. Okay. When, when he did the introduction for the pro wrestling spotlight with John Arezzi, yeah, I asked him to do that while I was in the locker room. <laughs> so, he, and, and he did the countdown and everything. He goes, three, two, one. This is Ravishing Rick Rude. You're listening to the Pro Wrestling Spotlight with John Arezzi. And I forget the call letters, but th- he did that for me. And I thought, and I got to work with Rick Rude, for God's sakes. You know, a tremendous performer. He was a great wrestler. Yeah. I, I love my... Like I said, I didn't even know what I would talk to you about. I said, you know, I haven't had much of a career, but that not much of a career I had, I uh, I relish it. I relish all of it. I mean, okay, I'm going to go in here, but you wrestled so many top guys. I'm yes. about to ask you this next one. You ready? You got to wrestle The Undertaker, who obviously was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Was it last year? Maybe. Um, who just had a 30-some-odd-year career. Wrestled all over the place and was just a is just a WWE legend, you know. So you got to wrestle him. I mean, that speaks a lot for you as well, you know. Well, that I'm, you were I'm in the ring. Insulted that he didn't ask me to induct him. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> well, here's the story with that. 
um, you know he made his official debut at Survivor Series. The, yeah. It yep. was Thanksgiving. Yep. But, Hartford, Connecticut, by the way. Yes. But we did yep. a TV taping two days earlier on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So here's this. On Wednesday, we're in Tampa. On Monday, we're in Tampa. So I go back to the Holiday Inn, and there's Mark Calloway at the desk. So I was like, hey, Mark, uh, my name's Sonny, you know, Cactus's friend. Oh, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. I said, is there a problem? He goes, well, they don't, they're all out of rooms. I said, no problem. I got two king-size beds. You want one? He's like, oh, man, great. So we're talking and whatnot. The next day, uh, he has to work with me. And I believe it was the first of three matches he had that that taping. So I believe if I wasn't his very first match in that uh, role, I was his second. And he was amazing. Um, if you ever see that match on YouTube, you'll notice that with the flying clothesline, he actually clears me. Yeah. Uh, he's a full foot taller than I am. I'm 5'11". He's 6'11". He clears me and has to reach back. It's not a clothesline. He grabs me by the throat to bring me down. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been standing there and he would have been behind me. But uh, that was that, it was just great. You're right. It was, I got to wrestle. I wrestled The Undertaker a few times. Uh, let's see. I just actually watched this match recently. What about Big Bully Busick? Do you remember this at all? Absolutely remember every minute of that um, because I was actually trying to tell him something in the ring. Mm-hmm. And he goes, don't call my match. And, you know, he gives me a little, a bit of a potato, not a full shot, just a, a yeah. little. And by the way, I'm not giving Nick Busick a receipt. No, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not that stupid. Yeah, on the way to the ring, he popped the balloon with the cigar and everything. Yep. Um, and he picks me up sort of like Mr. Backlund's atomic knee drop and then brings me all the way down onto my butt. Mm-hmm. That shot must have looked much more stiff than it was because when I got back to the locker room, even Mark was asking me how that was. You know, the guys ask questions um, when somebody knew, you know, they're going to, hey, Sonny, how was that? That looked, and I was like, no, it was absolutely fine. Um, it wasn't a stiff shot. It's just an unusual. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but that was an awkward, I, I, he, that for some reason, he never went anywhere. And I understand he was good friends with Sid, so I'm surprised that, again, going back to the politics you mentioned, that that connection alone didn't help him. So I'm thinking he just didn't want it. On occasion, things like that would happen. They would try something out, and it just seemed like if something wasn't working, the guy would disappear. Or sometimes yeah. they would try to sometimes they would try to repackage him in some way or another, you know? But he had the look, and I, mean, I thought it was a great gimmick. I thought it was good. Yeah. I think that, but maybe it wasn't connecting in some way. So I have no idea, but I do remember. I I don't know how many more matches than me. He, but maybe I retired him. See, that's it. <laughs> After working with me, he, he was like, "Man, I can't take this. I got I gotta leave wrestling now." Um, wasn't I think that he wrestled elsewhere at least briefly. I don't know. Uh, but I ran him out of town. I can't remember. I can't remember offhand, really, but, uh, you know. But I ran him out of town. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, Tell me about working Hercules and Paul Roma, because we talked a little bit about Roma before. Uh, Yeah. That was the night 
um, that I'm talking about here in uh, in Tampa the night before uh, Mark Calloway's Undertaker match. Okay. That was the night a guy named Chuck Austin got injured uh, here in Tampa. Is that the, with, uh, was that Mark with Marty Jannetty? Yeah. Okay. He, I think he ended up uh, crippled, right? Because he broke his neck or something? Yes. I, yeah. I understand that he he did learn how to walk again and stuff. Not well. Oh, really? yeah. He's mobile. Yeah. Um, anyway, Marty has absolutely zero reputation for injuring people. So I don't really know what happened. Herc mm-hmm. and I were actually in the shower when it, the fuss started. Right. Yeah. But that w- that's one of my favorite matches to remember. I'm glad you brought it up. First of all, Paul is amazing with the drop kicks. Yeah. Oh, God. But Herc, if you watch the match, you're going to see that we, and it might be edited a little bit in camera angles, but we're all laughing because when he gets done kicking me in the head and he's bending over, he actually says, well, you've had enough of those potatoes, (laughs) you know, because Herc would blow up a little and kind of land something a little unintentional. Right. man, but. Uh, and I started laughing with him saying, you've had enough of those potatoes. And here I am, you know, it, it, it just he was great. But that was a great match. I love remembering Herc in that match. And Paul with the, oh, my God, the drop kicks were just ridiculous. If I remember correctly, you've uh, in that match, you received the drop kick and he almost took your head off. Or at least that's the way it looked on camera. Sure it does so, look that way. Because that was one that... Um, I always went back to, I was like, you have to show people. You got to look at this, man. It looks like he almost takes his head off. So, (laughs) But also, whenever I was doing TV, I wanted there to be the contact because people had VCRs. Yep. And they were going back and they'd look for any little thing to go, see, I told you he didn't get hit. So I wanted to make sure that I got at least hit, you know. (laughs) I mean, there's a difference between pain and injury. So, yes, I, I mean, I can take a little bit of pain. I just, you know, please let me leave the ring with my ribs intact, my nose intact, you know. But uh, so a lot of times you'll never see me start a bump without getting hit. You know, that that just wasn't yeah. my style. Uh, you worked. Um, this was one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Literally, maybe not the character, but the man himself, Mike Rotunda, on numerous occasions. Uh, I was always, you know, I loved Mike Rotunda as a, you know, his NWA days and and such. At that time period, WWF was getting very cartoonish, so I didn't always appreciate every single gimmick. But however, he was still a tremendous performer. But you worked him on numerous occasions. What was that like as IRS? Yeah. First, I'm going to say, uh, by the way, I saw Mike Rotunda just last month at a thing called the Legends Lunch here in Tampa. Okay. And I saw uh, Tonga. Um, Mr. Briscoe, um, B. Brian Blair, who's everybody say a prayer for Mr. Blair, please. Um, uh, what's going on with Blair? He's well, of course, there's the thing with his son, his son had gotten killed, but uh, right, also right. his back is in such bad shape, he needs many operations. And oh my goodness, wow. if you if you believe in prayer, please send a prayer to Mr. Blair. Um, but anyway, I, I was talking with Mr. Rotonda. And I said, Mike, if your boys are half as tough as you, they're still the toughest guys around. <laughs> but it's Mike wrestled. You were absolutely not going to get injured unless he wanted to. Then you have no choice. Right. 
but he was very snug. So like mm-hmm. when you run into his clothesline, you're running into a drain pipe. There's you're wow. getting it, <laughs> but you're getting it nice and flat, nice and square. He took care of you, but you knew you were in a ring when you wrestled Mike Rotundo. That's right. that's the best way I can put it. But everything about it is great. You know, yep. you, you know that you're perfectly you're not going to break a shoulder. You know, you're right. going to be OK. Uh, let's see. You were... Oh, my God. I'm exposing the business. Oh, my God. <laughs> 2023, right? I mean, <laughs> talk about Shawn Michaels a little bit. You worked with him. We mentioned Marty before, but uh, hey. you worked Shawn Michaels in a singles match, I think, when uh, after they split up. Yep. Uh, he was with Sensational Sherry. Um, uh, the goofiest selling of a guy looking at a woman's chest ever. But I didn't actually know. So I just did the wide-eyed, whoa, you know. Um, but <laughs> Sherry, by the way, was great. She's, she was amazing, yes. But I'm going to say, um, of everybody, I I said, you know, I'd have a hard time thinking of somebody I didn't, I didn't like um, Sean very much, honestly. He mm-hmm. was, like, we were, again, going back to Madison Square Garden, we're at Madison Square Garden, the movie Malcolm X had just come out, and he's in the locker room, and he bought one of those Malcolm X it was the hat with the chrome plate with the X cut out on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, uh, what white boy do you know would wear this around? And I'm thinking, this is New York, everybody. You know, it's, that's not a big deal, Sean. Um, he had that, uh, you know, he's the cock of the walk type of guy. Right. Yeah. And he was just hard to like. Um, I mean, I didn't have any issues with him because we were at different stratospheres. Right. But... I felt very bad about feeling about him that way all these years. When I actually saw the match, he gives me a good portion of that match. Um, mm-hmm. And by the way, I was worried about the super kick just because it was Sean. Right. Um, I have never met anybody so precise. He was excellent. He was yeah. absolutely excellent. And, you know, here he is thanking me. And, uh, but, and I understand the Sean that I knew then is not the Sean Michaels of today. He seems to have um, been humbled, I guess, uh, as he gets older. He's found Christ and yes. and, such, and such things. So um, I guess he's changed quite a bit. And that was a bunch of years ago, I believe, because even when he was active in uh, WWF, WWE, excuse me, in uh, DX, he would not do certain offensive things uh, because of his uh, faith. Which, you know, more power to him if that's what he believes in. Yeah. So, you know. Well, I'm a I'm a man of faith. I'm a devout Catholic. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy for him. He yeah. was just, he was difficult to just, just to even be in the room with. Because he was always kind of talking about himself a little bit, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, most of it was none of my business. But just hearing yeah. it was like, oh my goodness. But when I saw how generous he was to me in that match... And, you know, years later, you forget. And and then somebody showed me that match. And I was like, you know what? He didn't have to give me anything. Right. And, uh, here, he, here he is. He's on his way up to being, I mean, the the man Ric Flair calls the greatest in-ring performer of all time. Well, <laughs> my, personal opinion, my personal but, uh, opinion, it is Ric Flair, my personal opinion. But, you know. Too. Bret Hart right underneath Flair. So mine too. That would be my <laughs> so, order. Mr. Yeah, Flair so. and uh, Bret Hart. Yep. 
but and that's only because I don't know a lot about um, you know Japan wrestling. Perhaps I choose one of them, but I don't know a lot about it. Right. Yeah. But uh, but that match is very special to me because of who Shawn Michaels became, and right. the fact that Sensational Sherry was Sherry Martel was wonderful. What a yeah. just a, a living doll. Uh, yeah. So, I first of all she would try to make you blush if she had the opportunity. And she would do that to me all the time. She, I was an easy target for her to make blush. Right. <laughs> but she would also be so concerned that everybody ate. And that, you know, she was like, there was something very maternal about her. And she was right, just right. a great person. So That's awesome. But, That's awesome. But I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to wrestle. Uh, and now with YouTube, these matches will be around for the re- forever. So long yeah. as there's YouTube. And there's somebody... Every now and again, this like this happened. Every now and yeah. again, somebody will ask me something about wrestling, and it it's out of the blue. Or somebody will go, "Oh, you were Sonny Blaze? Yeah, I used to watch you." And it is kind of nice, you know, because these yeah. days I own a vape shop, a vape and smoke shop in Florida, okay. and it's it's a good living. But of course, it's not as exciting as professional wrestling, you know. I mean, it's got to be good money because it's a very popular thing these days, you know, the vaping and, and such, you know, I mean, I'm doing pretty well and uh, yeah. I'm grateful for that as well. That's good. But uh, uh, Sean right. was great. That yeah. Matt, and that super kick was not his finish back then. I think uh, he used the pile driver at first. Correct. If I remember correctly. Yeah. But that yeah. super kick comes right up and man, I... I was, it was, I could have flipped a coin. Either he's going to take my head off or, you know, but nope, it was perfect. Tell me what it was like teaming with Jim Brunzel against uh, Microton and Ted DiBiase. Two guys you wrestled before, but you wrestled, uh, you teamed with Jimmy Brunzel at one point. Do you oh, remember this? I don't even remember it. Wow. And could have been one of those wrestled? You wrestled Money Inc., which was, you know, Mike Rotunda and Ted DiBiase. Um, geez, I, I mean, I remember uh, Jimmy Brunzel very well. Yeah, and I wrestled Ted DiBiase so many times. Geez. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I have it listed here. Like, there's at least four or five matches I have listed here where you wrestled him. So, you know, so I'm gonna try to find that video and send it over to you at some point uh, in the next day or two. So, well, thank you. I'd appreciate it. But uh, yeah. I. I, I can't imagine. I imagine Jimmy started the match off pretty good, tagged me in, and that was the end of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be my guess. Because I love, Jim, yeah. Jim Brunzel is Jim Brunzel. He's, I mean, one of the best drop kicks in the business, right? Oh, so. gosh, yeah. And yeah. just all-around worker. How many yeah. times did he hold the tag title in the AWA with Greg Gagne? Him and Greg Gagne were, like, those guys were, t- I mean, they were in the movie Highlander for crying out loud, you know? <laughs> so they were very popular at that time period. So I apologize. I just don't remember the match. It's quite all right. Um, let's see. So you ended up working for Herb Abrams a little bit, who which yeah. was uh, quite Can an interesting character. For WWF for one Go second. Go for it. Absolutely. Sergeant Slaughter makes his return. So they, they asked me to work with him, of course, you know. Well, I actually wrestled him, I think, three different TV tapings, and I submitted to that noogie, by the way. Uh, very <laughs> powerful. <laughs> but actually, the 
so now comes another TV, and here our names are next to each other. And he goes to uh, Chief J. Strongbow was the agent in charge of arranging all that. And goes, Chief, if I wrestle this kid one more time, they're going to think we're a tag team. <laughs> I just got a kick out of that line. <laughs> and and he apologized to me. He was he said, you know, you're great. I love working, but I need other people. <laughs> Everybody's seeing me work with Sunny Plays every Saturday. And I'm like, no, I understand. <laughs> That's right. Wrestling on TV every Saturday morning, ten o'clock in the uh, northeastern area. So that and was I submitted uh, to his noogie, his atomic. I remember. <laughs> I remember that at, back in the day. That's I. I almost forgot about it until you mentioned it. But that's a. It's quite entertaining, you know. <laughs> so, but um, you were talking about Herb and the UWF. I'm happy to talk yeah. about. That. Yeah. Um, little strange. Yeah. Um, well. First of all, first show is at the Penta Hotel, to my knowledge, first show. He did a lot of TV tapings out of that building. So but he rented my ring. And I should have known, like, honestly, things were going to get strange when he asked me. He wanted the ropes taped yellow, green, and purple. And you'll see that I wound up finding tape. That's my yeah. ring with the yellow, green, and purple ropes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the green curtain around uh, the, the apron. And uh, Herb was a strange one. Um, I know. Jeez. <laughs> um, a nice guy, but like he told me, he sent Mr. McMahon a, a job application for Mr. McMahon to fill out to work for the UWF. And, of course, you know, when you hear something that audacious, you're like, man, this is going to last about a minute and a half. Because... You know, this is so we're we're way out in like Plutonia or whatever planets there are way out. You know, we're off in Bolivian, and but uh, that one of just, the one of one of the stories I heard was that he threw an offer at McMahon that Herb would run the California area, or like the West Coast, and that McMahon can have the East Coast, and basically McMahon just kind of blew him off and laughed at him. That's just, I don't know how true that story is, but uh, I would, that's what I've, I've heard. I would bet if it's not true, it's partially true. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's some truth to it. Right. But um, now that show, my very favorite match is on that TV taping. Um, I wrestled Cowboy Bob Orton, mm -hmm. Bob Orton Jr. Yep. And doing commentary was, of course, Mr. San Martino. And Managing Bob Orton Jr. was John Tallis, the Golden Greek. Yes. So here I am. I'm wrestling a legend, managed by a legend, and I have a legend, you know, calling my match, doing color on my match. So, and Bob gave me uh, quite a bit of that match, and he didn't have to. You know, yeah. but he had great timing. Every now and again, Rick, I get the sunny, sunny, you know, it would just come out of nowhere. And at that moment, he lets me take the match. But as soon as the crowd died, he was like, okay, taking it back. He had that voice yet, taking it back, you know. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, superplex, boom, he's done. He throws me out of the ring. Now, when I say throws me, he launched me. I had no control over where I was going. Through the top and middle rope, I wind up kicking Mr. San Martino right in the head. Oh, my goodness. Uh, knocking off his, no, this is where it gets great for me. So it knocks off his uh, the headgear, the ear, whatever that's called. Um, yep. You're wearing one now. 
The headset, yeah. Headset, thank you. And so now I'm on the ground. Mr. Sammartino's helping me up. Cowboy Bob Orton goes to the top rope like he's going to come down on me. So Mr. Sammartino's standing over me, like protecting me. And I had all, I actually have it on VHS somewhere. I mean, I got John Tallis, Mr. Sammartino helping me up and protecting me from, and wrestling Bob Orton. And that was just a wonderful, that, that's one of those times where you don't expect something great, but for me, that's great. Right. Uh, you had a victory in the UWF, if I, my information is correct, against Chris Michaels. That's correct. Again, show, opening match. Okay. That was at St. John the Baptist in West Islip. Now, you, I'm glad we're talking about this because this got messed up. So I show up at the school with the ring and everything. Well, the wrestling coach is there. I'm not allowed to put that ring on his floor. There was supposed to be a tarp, a covering. Well, again, now Herb is doing this again. He's off having lunch in limousines and, you know, I mean, champagne lunches, for God's sakes, on the day of a show. Right. So um, I ran to Home Depot or something like that. I get a bunch of these blue tarps and I tarp up the floor and then there was some clear plastic. I needed enough to cover a basketball court. So I said, is that okay? The wrestling coach said, absolutely. Get the ring up. There's no chairs. We're put, I'm putting the chairs up now. I'm actually setting up the arena. I get it all set up, and these guys finally show up. I believe the show started like 7.30. They show up at 6.30. It's like everybody. And then I hand him the receipt, and he wants to negotiate. I said, Herb, this isn't negotiating. This is what I spent on it. And he goes, well, did you look for the best price? <laughs> I'm like, for the love of God, man, I was looking for something to cover the floor. <laughs> wow. And, and that was the night Bob Smith took that picture that you see in the article. If you notice, I'm wearing a hooded sweatshirt, which I never wore. Right. But that hooded sweatshirt says uh, St. John the Baptist wrestling team. The coach asked me to wear it. And again, I was the face of Chris Michaels. Yeah. So Chris did the favor for me. By the way, terrific guy and great, great worker. Yeah. Um, we've been going back and forth for a very long time trying to get him on here, but our, our timing is just not good, I guess. Our schedule's completely well, different. He, uh, by the way, Army veteran. You know, yes. Just yep. so you know, and uh, just a terrific guy. I, I can't yeah. speak highly enough of him. Um, you know, at, probably throughout our careers, he did the favor for me. Uh, probably a half a dozen times we even did a thing now this was different wrestlers against drugs in patterson new jersey i've heard of this yes what? <laughs> yes what? well i'm supposed to be like this hoodlum type and i'm trying to sell the kid drugs and he comes in now they didn't have a police uniform ready for him so he just comes in kind of in street clothes and we start going at it and i get arrested and taken back and but uh that was chris and i again <laughs> so um when did you get out of the business i mean did you, I, I heard uh or i read not so long ago that you ran a school is that correct i did um yeah. geez when did i the school would have been mid 90s 94 5 you okay. know this this wasn't even like recently you didn't run anything oh god no um no okay okay no no i was doing a couple of charities in this area okay I was promoting charities. 
and they were 100% legitimate charities. It's not where I was uh, giving them 10, 10 cents on the dollar. Uh, right, right. We've raised real money. I don't, that's the one cactus came to. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I had the nasty boys on it. Um, they're local. You know, I tried to do, I, I just wanted to do something, um, but it, it becomes ugly because then you have these little groups that are running and then it becomes competitive. And I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this to raise money for people. I, I have no interest in turning this into a competitive war. So, I was, right. Right. but I did have a school, um, two of the people, I'm going to say I trained, but I'm using that term a little loosely, believe me. Okay. Was a guy named Mikey Whipwreck. I, of course, everybody should know him. Uh, at least a lot of people should, you know. And uh, another guy named Mark Lamonico, or better known as Bubba Ray Dudley or Bully Ray Dudley. Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you um, that Mark absolutely hates my guts. Um, we'll put... He's had a wonderful career. Mm -hmm. If he gets the opportunity, he will say something bad about me. And wow. I'm going to tell you how all of this came about. John Arezzi had a, a show at the Marriott by LaGuardia. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a call, asked me for some, some guys, and asked me if I would work the show. I was like, sure. And uh, as a matter of fact, on that show, I got to work with Louis Piccoli. Um, you know that name. Yep, absolutely. At the time. He was working with AAA down in Mexico. Mm -hmm. But uh, so anyway, I told uh, Mark to, excuse me, Bubba, to go to the Athletic Commission on Broadway and get his license. Well, first he says, uh, was I your for first call? I said, no, I think you were second or third. What does that matter? So he was insulted. Then uh, he shows up and he pulls me aside and he's like, uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to go to the athletic commission. So, but uh, I'm going to, don't worry, I'll work around that. This is when the athletic commission was doing, I don't know if they still do New York shows, but they were. That might be the only place that does. I could be wrong on that, but it might be like one of the very few that still does. Well, if you're not licensed, they're not going to let you go on. Right. Somehow he did manage to get around it. I don't know how, but I'm going to say to teach him a lesson that the show is first because he put John's show in jeopardy. He put the match in jeopardy, you know. It, yeah. So I, I wanted to teach him a lesson. And he went, oh, he, by the way, he also went to St. John's University. Okay. And he was in a fraternity and his fraternity brothers were there. So Kevin Sullivan had the book and I asked Kevin uh, to have him do the favor just to teach him a lesson. Well, I that was a bigger deal to him than I thought. It didn't really teach him a lesson. And right. in the long run, all it did was make him angry. So, you know, even Cactus has made it part of his act a few times to mention that, because, uh, you know, Cactus is going around uh, yep. telling stories, doing comedy. I but, saw him about three years ago. He did his stand-up. That's actually that picture that I posted on Facebook recently. Yeah. Is, um, I saw him on his speaking tour probably it has to be three. It was right before the pandemic happened, like literally months before that. Well, in his uh, first book, he's um, uh, Have a Nice Day. I forget yep. that story of blood. And, he mentions me, that he trained me, and that I trained Mikey Whipwreck. And now... And he, he has the story correct. I didn't charge Mikey Whipwreck because Mikey Whipwreck, 
whose real name is John. John yeah. was five foot ten, weighed 170 pounds. So I just agreed to let him work out and he'd sweep the floor and stuff like that. And there was really very little to teach him because he had been backyard wrestling so much and studying it. It was more or less, okay, here's how you protect yourself so you don't get killed because he was crazy. Um, and same thing with Mark. I, I taught Mark how to be safe, you know, stuff like that. And by the way, the guy right. was light as a feather and I'm not kidding. Most athletic guy you'll ever meet. Right. Um, at the time, six foot four, 340 pounds, I was able to body slam him. Now, believe me, I cannot pick up 340 pounds of anything. So for, for that to happen, that was a pretty big deal. Um, so, but, so he'll say that I didn't train him. Okay, I didn't train you to be what you became. Nobody can train that. Nobody could right. train Cactus. Dominic Danucci didn't train Cactus to become Cactus Jack. Or, right. um, you know, what he did become. Yep. But but I got him to a point where he could go to ECW and learn how to become what he became. And I'm not taking right. credit for anything, you know, but uh, we had a contract. I fulfilled it. He trained for a year and but he was just a, a, a I'm very happy for him. First of all, you know, God bless. He's yeah. done very well. And he's still active he's today. Done, and yeah, he's, he's done very well. That's kind of an understatement. Right. But um. But I think after the career he's had, maybe he could forgive me for, and I am sorry if I, I was heavy handed that night. Um, I just, it, it was what you did back then. And right. I didn't know that it would mean that much to him 20 something years later, you know, 25 years later after the brilliant career he's had, that this would still be a thing that, he'll talk about um he seems to be a little bitter sometimes when it comes to things uh he's also you know part of busted open radio and he is uh i don't know sometimes i don't agree with some of his opinions on the world of professional wrestling so. but 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 you know what he uh he had a great career there's no denying yeah. that um he had, had a compelling story you know i'm glad that they got rid of the sort of uh, mentally deficient <laughs> uh, Dudleys and turned them into what they became. Right. Uh, Devon yeah. is an incredible worker, you know, and and so is Mark. And by the way, I didn't teach him any of that. <laughs> you know, I taught him how to take a body slam, hip toss, you know, that the basics, hip toss, body slam, uh, arm drag, what he became. You. That's from working in ECW with guys like Dreamer, Taz, Bigelow. You know, he was working with the best. And he, and by the way, there's Paul E, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'd, I'd be disingenuous if I said um, he wasn't great. I didn't make him yeah. great, but he was great. But that is the truth behind that. Um, and he'll, I think he'll be bitter till, I don't know when, honestly, if it'll ever go away. Yeah, but, well, one of the things in life is that you have to try to forgive, you know, it's just a, you live an easier life if you learn to forgive and such, you know. And, and by the way, I did the job for Spicoli that night. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know, uh, it, it's just that's how it works. You know, yep. John didn't go, oh, Sonny, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you to do the favor. 
you and uh, Louis, you know, you mind putting him up? No, not at all. You know, that's how it will hit. Uh, so why don't we tell everybody what you are up to today? Well, today, uh, after many, many years in the automotive industry, I'm now run, I own a vape and smoke shop here in Port Ritchie, Florida. Um, thank goodness it's doing very well. Um, I just, I try to make sure people are happy, people are well taken care of, and they get their, all of their money's worth. Um, we, we don't give any medical advice. People come in, they say, oh, my wife has cancer. What about this? What about this Delta product? Uh, go see an oncologist, please. Um, it, you, you got a bunch of jabronis here and you're going to ask us for medical advice. Your oncologist went to school for this. And I'm going to tell you, um, and this not to, don't, this is no big deal, but I had uh, colon cancer. So they I'm took sorry. out my ascending colon. I went through the chemotherapy. And um, I'm telling you that things that your doctor will tell you seem ridiculous. But remember, they went to school for it. You right. know? So I stay away from Google with medical advice. And, you know, I watched every episode of MASH. It doesn't mean that I'm a doctor. So. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> so, so, um. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you were going to say something. Nope. Um, I just want you, you know, I want to thank you for doing this. Uh, you haven't been involved in professional wrestling many, many years. So is this like the only interview you've done in a while or? Yeah, it is. Um, but I, And I want to thank you for giving me, this to me is a tremendous opportunity. Like I said, I loved the little career I had. Um. It wasn't Ric Flair, but I got to talk with Mr. Flair. I got to drink with him yeah. in a hotel lo lounge. Um, it, just, it's tremendous. Every, you know, it was a tremendous experience. Um, mm -hmm. And I know I had every opportunity, which actually I think is easier than the guy that never gets an opportunity. It's kind of like being in a, a garage somewhere. You can play guitar like Eddie Van Halen, but nobody ever hears you. So you think you could have been the next Ed Van Halen. Right. I know I can't be the next Ric Flair. I had that opportunity and it just wasn't there. Right. You know, so, but, and I want to thank everybody listening to this. If you remember me and I made you happy at all watching me get kicked in the face by the barbarian <laughs> or, you know, just destroyed by, uh, tombstoned by Undertaker. I hope that that made you happy that we were able to bring that to you. And, uh, you know, because that's all I ever wanted to do in pro, pro wrestling. That's it. Uh, would you mind if the fans, uh, how can the fans find you if they ever uh, want to see you, uh, see what you're up to these days? Um, well, people can email me. Is it okay yep. if I give an email address? Go, go ahead. Give out your email. Okay. It's a L. S C H A E F E R. That's Al Schaefer. The number zero at gmail.com. Okay. That's my All personal right. email, so I'll get it. All right. I will make sure to put that in the comments as well. So uh, anybody who wants to get in touch with Mr. Sonny Blaze, uh, go for it. Broadway, Sonny Blaze, excuse me. Um, I stole that from Joe Namath. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. This has been a, an amazing time. Literally, uh, 
I'm glad I talked to you today. Very Rick, glad that I talked to you. You made my day. You made mine. This was an honor. Thank you so much for asking me. Thank you.